Good morning. It is, it is a pleasure to be with you today. It's been a while since the last time, at least five years. So uh, we're glad to be back and to share from the Lord's work, about the Lord's work in Uruguay. And as we open the word, I don't know if any of you remember that song, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. So let's look at Mark and see what a dream it is rowing out there in the boat. And you already know where to go in your Bibles, don't you? Mark chapter 4. I love this passage, but there's a couple of details in here that are so important to our Christian life. Even in the storms, we learn valuable lessons. In fact, it's in the storms where we learn the most valuable lessons in life. Mark 4, verse 35, that day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. A lovely scene, <laughs> if you're this side of the lake. Chapter 6 and verse 45. A second scene on the same Sea of Galilee. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, 
their hearts were hardened. Two storms in the water, the same sea, the same sea where the disciples had grown up on and were fishermen. They were accustomed to those sudden squalls that just came up. But these seemed to be a little bit different, a little bit more intense than what they were accustomed to due to the topography of the of the land there that allowed these sudden storms to arise. Now, going back to Mark 4, it says, when evening came, Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. So, of course, this is always a little bit more of a challenge when upsetting things occur when night is approaching. If it's in the morning and the day is coming and there's lots of light, fine. But when things get chaotic at nighttime, it just adds another ingredient of insecurity, of apprehension. And the disciples are feeling this. So the crowd is left behind. There are a few other boats around. They seem to disappear. But this furious squall comes up and the waves break into the boat. And they're nearly swamped. Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. Now, I don't know if any of you have been in a boat when the waves start coming in. Do we have any experienced? Yes, okay, we have a couple here. Not too many, eh? So you can't imagine really what it's like. Well, I remember as a teenager uh, with my brother Robert, we had come home from the dump one day, <laughs> dragging some pieces of wood. And together with our father, we made those pieces of scrap wood into a little rowboat. And it was even shaped like a rowboat. And while well, we didn't have oars, we used paddles for it. So anyway, the day came to see this thing float. So my dad took us on his way to work to a lake just north of Port Perry, somewhere in there and left us for the day. We had some food and uh, that was all we needed and our paddles. I guess we had life jackets on. I don't remember back in those days <laughs> if they even bothered with them. But anyway, there we are in the lake and uh, having a great time. We on the way back, this happened. A wind came up, uh, nothing like this, uh, not, not nearly so bad, but enough to let uh, two teenagers, I'd be 14 and my brother would be 13, uh, we started feeling scared. <laughs> so I can uh, put myself in the shoes of the disciples here, or the moccasins, I don't know what they were using, and understand their fear. 
But also, as they look at Jesus, asleep. Now, they had been around Jesus enough to realize that he had powers that they didn't have. And so they turned to Jesus, wake him up, and we'll go on later from there. What is Jesus doing sleeping at a time like this? Have you ever felt that Jesus was sleeping when you were in a very difficult situation and you were praying and asking God to intervene in some particular thing in your life and it just seemed like the skies were of bronze? And what happens to our faith? Does it get stronger? Does it waver? Do we start to doubt? Do we pull the hair out of our heads? What do we do at times like this? Well, they're very trying times, especially when we start to question the God in whom we trust. When we come to the situation of the disciples and say, teacher, Lord, don't you care? I've been asking you about this weeks, months, perhaps years, and I don't see anything happening. Well, and we have seen people in this situation, maybe a young person looking to the Lord for the Prince Charming, and Prince Charming just doesn't appear, and they'll go through years. We have a couple of cases in, in our churches down in Uruguay. They waited for years, and Prince Charming didn't come until, well, in one case, she fell for a fella who wasn't a Christian, and she has suffered. She has suffered. We know of another case. The Lord was gracious and her unsaved husband got saved and is going on for the Lord. That's an exception to the rule. Usually it doesn't work out when we don't keep our eyes on the Lord as we have just sung. And when we say, I know I'm doing wrong, but I'll do it anyway. We'll pay the price usually. But God is always gracious. There's always a door open for repentance if we will repent. Although even then, sometimes the situation that we placed ourselves into will not be reverted. So we have to think carefully before disobeying, especially disobeying, knowing what we're doing. But the disciples here, don't you care, teacher? Don't you care, Lord? Does the Lord care? Even if he appears to be sleeping? Even if he appears not to be answering our prayer? Is it that the Lord doesn't care? 
Well, there are different occasions. Remember the leper? Uh, chapter one, right here, just a couple, of, a couple of pages back. Verse 40. He came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, you can give me that Prince Charming <laughs> if you want to. You can work in that person's life if you want to. We have that sort of doubt in our minds. Of course, we don't always know exactly what God wants because he knows everything and he is sovereign. So I ask if your will be done or as you wish. But often we come with this doubt. If you are willing, you can. <clears throat> and what did the Lord say to this man? Well, he says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, the man was cleansed. Yes, there are things that God wants and that he will answer immediately. For instance, God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's a Bible verse. So we know that we can pray that prayer and God will work. Yes, but I've been praying for somebody for 20 years, 30 years, and he has, hasn't answered yet. Has, is anybody in that situation? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> somebody did. Yes. Is Jesus sleeping? Is God not answering? We know God's will but he will not violate a person's freedom to choose. And we are all responsible for what we choose. John 3.36, we know it by heart. But let's read it anyway so that we get the exact words. If it was in Spanish, I'd quote it to you. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That is a solemn verse, and it places the responsibility squarely on the human being. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. But he will not force anybody. Irresistible grace is a term that isn't correct. God does not force anybody to accept salvation. And Jesus here 
speaks of the possibility of somebody rejecting. Can you imagine, imagine rejecting Jesus? In the breaking of bread, we considered all that Jesus did and suffered to save us. The ridicule, the rebuke, the suffering, being strung up on a cross, and he did it so that we could be saved, so that my sins and your sins could be, could be forgiven. But just like the two criminals, one on each side, one said, remember me when you come in your kingdom. The other continued to curse. Right there you have the two sides, those who accept and believe, those who reject and are lost forever. So solemn. So each one of us needs to place ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ and accept or reject. Going back to Mark chapter 4. Don't you care? Yes, I care. Yes, I care. And Jesus got up. Verse 39. Rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The picture comes to my mind of a person walking his dog, and the dog starts barking furiously at somebody, and the master says, quiet, be still. And the dog sits on his haunches and looks up. Still, an obedient dog. Not too many around. Not too many masters who know how to train a dog. But here we have Jesus. A tremendous storm. The waves are churned and flowing inside the boat. Experienced fishermen terrorized by this storm. And then with a word, perfect calm. Now, what is that? <laughs> what kind of a man can do that? And that is exactly what the disciples see, appreciate, and question in verse 41. They were terrified, not of the storm. They were terrified by the man that is standing in front of them. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What a scene. What a place to be in in the middle of the lake, a boat that has been rocking to and fro, filling up with water, and all of a sudden, this man. Quiet, be still, and it happens. That is Jesus. But who is this Jesus? Is he just another man? Is he just another prophet of many? 
This question Mark brings up very purposefully because this is the whole purpose of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four are presenting this person, the Lord Jesus, to show who he is. He's not just another human being like you and I. He's not just another human being with some extra powers, some energy that he's tapping from the universe or something like that. No. This Jesus is omnipotent God, the eternal God, creator of everything. Genesis chapter 1, he spoke, let there be light, and there was light. Does that sound familiar? Be still, and it was still, a word. And whatever it is, obeys him. <laughs> Fantastic. And that is Jesus. That is the Jesus of the Bible. Not just another man. Yes, he was fully man. He got tired, he, was, he had been working all day, and he was sleeping right through the storm, the waves pouring over top of him. He was dead tired, shall we say. But when he got up and spoke, God said, be still. And it was still. So when you and I pray and ask God to intervene on things, this is the Jesus that we are praying to, in whose name we ask God to intervene on, behind, on behalf of whatever it is that we are going through. And the storm, he can calm it. Yes, sometimes he has to stir us up and get us going, because life is not merrily, merrily row a boat. <laughs> Life is a battleground, and especially the Christian life. If you have accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if you have said, yes, I recognize that death on the cross as what was necessary for the forgiveness of my sins, I accept it, then you're in a battle. First of all, because Satan lost his grip on your life, and he won't have you ever again in his grip, because you belong to God. So now, instead of being on Satan's side, you are on God's side, which means that you are Satan's enemy. You are his target, and he will go after you. And I'm sure it has happened here that people have, young people, have accepted the Lord Jesus as Savior, have taken the step of baptism, and they got discouraged, fell into sin, left, and messed things up. That hasn't happened here, has it? 
it hasn't happened a few times, many times, I'm sure. Because Satan will go after each one of God's children. And so that's why we need to get our act together and not waste time, not be rowing merrily, merrily along, but put on the armor of God and fight the battle. The Lord is on our side. He can calm the storm and he can defeat the enemy and he can build up our faith so that we will go on for God above and beyond our natural disposition. Some people are strong and other people are timid or weak. But with God, when I am weak, then I am strong. So don't look at yourself and how you are. Look at Jesus and who he is and what he can do through you. Really, if this weren't the case, my wife and I wouldn't be returning to Uruguay 10 days from now. In fact, we wouldn't have returned many years ago because it's a battleground. It's not easy to be taking the word of God to another place. And so as we look at a few of these pictures, I would ask you to remember that it's not a game, it is a battle. And that's why we ask you in all of our letters, pray for us. And we do have prayer cards with us that you can uh, ask my wife for if you would like to have a prayer card so that you can remember us daily, weekly, monthly, or whenever you open your Bible and find that bookmark and pray for Ken and Eunice Russell. Okay, so there we are. A tiny little blob in South America, <laughs> the size of a third of Ontario, three million people and a half, and we speak Spanish. So that's the language of heaven. We have a, a point on you. And a little bit of the terrain, so you can see by the palm trees, we're semi-tropical, 32 degrees south of the equator, something like South Carolina. <laughs> Looks like it, there we go. Our family. Uh, you've already met Andrew and Leticia over there on the right side of the picture, and they are in full-time service. They've been serving the Lord now about 25 years. And then there's the rest of the family, the granddaughters. Oops, now it moved. <laughs> and uh, well, we thank the Lord for our family that's there because they're all serving the Lord. Our four granddaughters as well are uh, growing up into God-fearing girls and very active in the Lord's work. When you go to start an assembly where there's nothing, what do you do? Well, that's what you do. <laughs> you stamp lots of tracks 
uh, with an address on it, a radio program, and you go door to door with these tracks. Something else we did, this is a picture of a picture uh, that we have from 40 years ago uh, with a Bible class in these apartment buildings. And the little kids that you see there are now uh, parents and they're sending their kids and some of them even their grandkids, imagine that, to our Sunday school. And another interesting item is that it's not us giving the lessons all, all the time. It is now the new generation or a, a new generation and generation. <laughs> this fella giving the lesson was saved as a child in an open air Bible class like this, and now he is uh, doing the teaching. Uh, 40, almost 40 years ago, we purchased this building and since have been uh, doing improvements on it. And uh, the Lord was very good to us a good property and uh, it's been very useful for many activities the that's a current picture now of course uh, with a children's activity so you have open air classes around and then you bring them to the chapel for uh, united activities this is a couple's banquet so this happens once every other month where the Christian couples invite their friends, uh, contacts, so that they can hear the gospel around a table with very good food and uh, time of games as well and things to uh, break the ice. I'm having trouble with my... Uh, there we go. This is a children's activity. Sorry, that slide got put in, got backwards there. And so this is the wall of Jericho and it's about to come down. Men's barbecues once a month for fellowship and also to bring the men together uh, and a chance to invite other fellows who aren't yet saved. And the ladies have their time, their ladies' Bible study units, and her um, daughter-in-law uh, are in the group here with other sisters. And then they too, every two or three months, have a time to get together uh, to reach unsaved ladies. And this is a nice group. And one of the things that we like to see and keep up is the generations. You don't have just older ladies, <laughs> you have all the ages going down. The Lord has been good in opening uh, doors into new cities, not only where we live, but this one here, Estilde Polier, where um, the Lord opened that door using a farmer. And they would teach uh, the customers that went there, the gospel, give them tracks. And so they uh, were the basis for that work. When we went with a tent, it filled up with this family's customers. And a number, number of them got saved. 
And to this day, uh, we have some of the um, children and grandchildren of that generation. This is the lady. She just went to be with the Lord last year and her husband a number of years ago. So she rests from her labors, but the labor goes on with new generations. The young people have regular get-togethers where they can encourage each other and also invite new young people. So this group is from the assemblies in our area. They have a national one, which brings together 400 young people, but uh, this is just in our area. Uh, camp time is always a jolly time for the kids and the young people. And in our case, we use tents mainly. The kids like it. In fact, we do have some dormitories, but the kids say, can we sleep in tents? So they can if they take their tent and a mattress, but they really like it. And I like this picture because there are two boys there on the right, the yellow shirt and the one to his his left, another was on the right of the picture. They went to camp uh, just angry. They, everything made them angry. <laughs> uh, fighting, hitting, uh, crying, uh, really a problem. Uh, we'd go to the beach and they'd be angry every time somebody just happened to splash them. So, uh, well, we had to put up with them. <laughs> We had to love them. And it was great to see, well, you can see there, they're not angry there. <laughs> they're not snarling at anybody. And the last day, it was noticeable, the change in the kids' lives, just in three days. What a little bit of love and patience can do in a kid's life. We know the family situation and it explains their behavior. So do pray for kids like this. I know you have it here too. And we need to pray for our kids, especially the kids who seem to have everything going against them, that God would, in his mercy and power, transform these lives. He's not finished with these boys, by the way. Uh, young People's Camp. A nice group as well. And then very important in Uruguay is the working together. In our case, it's nationally because, as I said, it's only 500 kilometers in any direction. So like a piece of Ontario. Uh, but the important thing is that the assemblies are working together. It wasn't always that way. There was a time when the assemblies were divided over a couple of issues and things that had happened and they didn't talk to each other. There were two or three sectors, but thankfully that has been overcome and the assemblies are working together, working on camps together, and especially with evangelism. So they've got the buses. One is owned by the assemblies. The other bus is a missionary's uh, own personal bus for their assembly. And then the tent, which was made by 
uh, Christians in Uruguay. And well, this is an event that happens through February. So four cities get a visit from the bus and the tent. You see a whole pile of tents. That is the kids that go with the tent to uh, do the evangelism. So lots of kids activities and uh, a lot of kids make their decision to accept the Lord as Savior. This is a small town, about 5,000 people, and yet it's where most kids attend, 120 children every day, the week that they're there. So they have really good programs for the kids, and the Lord is blessing. And then this is a national ladies' retreat, uh, almost 400 ladies there. Uh, we could hear them afar. <laughs> Uh, they had a good time and one of much blessing. New works, working together to establish new works and to help new works put their buildings together. We just got a couple of pictures yesterday of a new work up on another side of the country. And well, with the help of Christians from other other cities, other areas of the country, they were able to plaster a building about the size of this. And so that is a blessing, and one that can only be done with uh, the help of others. Uh, yes, the picture there was the inside of that building that was um, built. And then here is refloating weekend works, and that does happen. Uh, different ones. This one here was existing for about 25 years and nothing was happening. And then finally, they said, please take over <laughs> the building and continue. So uh, the assemblies got together and with one assembly, especially in charge of uh, getting that work going. They are doing evangelism door to door and all the assemblies are pitching in to help. And on special occasions, they get together as well. And then workers going to other, uh, other countries, Brazil. This is my brother Robert's wife, <laughs> brother's uh, daughter and her husband and three children. So they're with Ethnos in Manaus, Brazil. So he is doing administration and she is in linguistics. So do pray for them as well. And also uh, Paraguay on the Brazilian border, you have this two couples that are working there and uh, seeing a nice work started among the indigenous people there. As we think about the work in Uruguay, we can thank the Lord for growth. Um, we've been there, as we said, 48 years. And so we can see growth. Uh, we'd like to see it as that arrow that just is a steady 
upward movement. Wouldn't that be nice? Do you think it's realistic? <laughs> uh, not in our case, at least. Uh, our growth is more like going over the mountains. <laughs> uh, but it is on the up. And as we look at conferences, United Conferences at Easter time would bring together 200 people years ago. Today, they're bringing together 500 people. Uh, the United Youth Encounters or Retreats would bring together, again, maybe 180, 200 young people. Today, they're bringing 400 and they have to put the brakes on because there's no more room. And the same with the ladies. So there is growth and we thank the Lord for this, but there is a lot of room for more. And one of the things that the Christians in Uruguay are aiming at is to start new works because there are a lot of cities in Uruguay that don't have an assembly. And so they are um, praying that the Lord would raise up uh, families, couples, families, who would move to uh, a city, one of these cities that doesn't have an assembly, uh, together with maybe two or three other couples, so as to form a group that could work together and see an, an assembly established. A lot easier than doing it the way we did it. Uh, one, uh, one couple going and being by themselves for five, ten years before there's a group established. So this is the current um, goal of the assemblies in Uruguay. And then also, as we saw in one of the slides, helping weakening or weakened assemblies to not die away, but to be able to reach their neighborhood with the gospel and see people saved. So different images of growth. I like Jesus' selection of a seed, which is planted in the ground and sprouts, grows and gives fruit. And I think that is very realistic. And what God wants to see, that multiplication, uh, one tree, but lots of fruit. And from that fruit, many more trees. And so that's what we pray for in Uruguay, in our own case, in our own city, in our own area, as well as in the country. So thank you very much for listening, for praying, for Uruguay. And do remember, each of us has a calling from God. Each of us has a calling first to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior. Once you've done that, God is calling you to follow him. As he said to his disciples who became his disciples, follow me. What for? Gently row, row your boat down the stream? <laughs> no. And I will make you fishers of men. 
the Lord wants to use you to take his grace and mercy to others so that they can be saved as well and join this army to advance the gospel around the world. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We love to read the Gospels and see his compassion, his mercy, his love for the people who were suffering, how he himself said, pray that the Lord would send workers into the harvest. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. Lord, we confess that sometimes we can get discouraged, that we can sometimes get comfortable, that we can sometimes lose sight of the real reason that we are here for. So help us to set our sights on you, on your work, on your purposes, and preach the gospel. Be fishers of men, bringing them to salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, thank you for this assembly. Thank you for their testimony here in this area. Do continue to bless it and use it to reach many neighbors and people from abroad with the salvation. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.